I'm Terry McGuire, Connections Pastor at Parkway Fellowship's North Katy location. We pray that you are uplifted and encouraged by the truth of God's Word you are about to hear and apply it to your daily life. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at connections at parkwayfellowship.com. So glad you're here as we continue in our series, What Would Jesus Undo? Not What Would Jesus Do, WWJD. That was the huge kind of craze that took over Christian culture in the 90s. This was What Would Jesus Undo? The whole premise is if Jesus were to come back, what would he try to undo in our society and in our church culture today? We've been asking ourselves this question. I mean, seriously, if Jesus came back, would he look at kind of how we do just Christianity in our lives, in our churches? And is there something that he would say, hey, you guys totally missed it here. You guys just missed the boat. This is what I wanted. This is where I was supposed to go. Uh, Let me undo that. And maybe not just in church, but when he looks at our lives, when he looks at my life, when he looks at your life, what would Jesus want to undo? What has been built that Jesus says, look, I don't want that there. That shouldn't be there. That habit needs to be gone. Let's undo this. And we've been unpacking it, and we're going to continue to unpack it during this series. And I think one of the things that Jesus would very quickly want to undo is any lack of urgency that we have about telling others about himself. Now, I know that as soon as I bring up the idea of telling other people about Jesus or sharing your faith, like this overwhelming amount of emotions comes in. It says, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. And there's a nervousness and there's an anxiety. And then it's just like, yeah, it's done and it's off. And because of that wealth of emotions that often comes in, what we wind up saying is, I'll do that later. I'm not ready for that now. I don't know enough now. Like, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna put that on the back burner and we're just gonna wait to, just to do that. So not now. And what happens is the more that we put that on the back burner, a lack of urgency sets place in our lives. And I think if Jesus were to come back, he would quickly want to undo it. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, and maybe you're just here because somebody invited you when you're exploring this Jesus thing, and so you don't really understand it yourself, and you're like, I don't want to tell anybody. Let me just say this. I'm so glad you're here. Look, the reason that somebody invited you to be here is because they care about you. Because you matter. And not only do they care about you, look, I care about you. And our entire church family cares about you. So if you're unsure of where you fall with Jesus Christ, this is a perfect Sunday for you to be here. Because you're going to get a very clear picture of what it means to be a Christ follower. A very clear picture. And so I feel that the Lord has you here for a very special reason. And I'm glad that you're here. Now, I didn't grow up sharing my faith or telling others about Christ. It's just not a part of my story. I grew up here in Katy, and honestly, looking back at it, I really think that I believed that pretty much everybody was going to heaven just because like, we grew up here in Katy, and there's churches everywhere. And so uh, like, I didn't need to do that because everybody's going to heaven. Why would you not? I remember as my faith began to grow, especially when I went to college at TCU, I began to realize this idea of telling other people about Christ. Like, it's a serious deal. Like, it's all over Scripture. And it was a part of my life that just wasn't there. And I began to realize this is something that I need to do. And so I remember praying about it and thinking through it. And I vividly remember the very first time I ever told somebody about Christ. It was my freshman year. 
I was in the mail room at TCU. I had my little key open in to see if like mom had sent me some cookies or brownies or something. She hadn't. And I'm in the mail room and there's one other guy in there and he's right behind me. And I remember thinking, this is it. Like, this is it. And like, I remember like, like silently, like pumping myself up. Like, you can do this. And like, I rehearsed the conversation in my mind real quick. And I was going to say this, then he was going to say this, then I was going to say this. And he would be like, oh my gosh, I want to become a Christ follower right now. And I'd be like, yes, you do. And then we were going to like, hey, just repeat this prayer after me. And then he repeats this prayer after me. And then there's like angels and like, ah! like that are happening. And like, it'd be great. Like we go to church together and it would be awesome. Like I was so ready. I was like, you can do this, you can do this. And so I turn around. I'm like, hey, my name's Adam. Like, I'd love to tell you about Jesus. He turns around, looks at me, and he goes, yeah, no thanks, and just walks out. <laughs> and that was it. That was my first time. I mean, it's super anticlimactic, I know. Like, I really felt it, too. It was like, oh, that did not go. Like, I thought it was going to, to go. It's not, no, it wasn't supposed to happen. And, I, and as I look back, and I remember that time, like, I did not do it out of a, a sense of urgency, I didn't. It was really more out of a, this is something that I see in Scripture. This is something that I need to do, and I'm going to do it. However, a sense of urgency is why I share it again and why I continue to do so. Look, let me just say this. I don't think Christ is coming back tomorrow. That topic is actually a whole different sermon for another time or day. I don't think he's coming back tomorrow. And so it would be very easy for me to say, I'll do it later. But just because I don't think Jesus Christ is coming back tomorrow doesn't mean the other person doesn't need Jesus Christ today. They might today need to know that there is hope for their life. They might need to know today that Christ has forgiven all of their sins and there is no guilt and there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. They might need to know today that they are loved unconditionally, that they matter, and that they care. Like, people need to hear that. And so just because I don't think Christ is coming back tomorrow doesn't mean that they don't need to hear about him today. Now, I don't know their story. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know the truth. And so the more I begin to think about the other person, the more a sense of urgency wells up in my life. And I think that's what Satan tries to do. Satan tries to get us to think that this idea of telling other people about Christ is about us. It's about us and us overcoming insecurities and overcoming maybe a sense of, I don't know enough. And he says, hey, look, this is all about you. And if you're uncomfortable about it, you don't have to. Because the more we think about ourselves when it comes to this issue of sharing Christ, the more a lack of urgency grows. But when we stop thinking about ourselves and think about the other person, that's when we begin to understand, no, there is some urgency that is attached to this. When we think outside of ourselves. But here's the thing, we're not the only people that have ever struggled with this. We're not. And the very first people that struggled with talking to other people about Jesus were Jesus' 12 disciples. They struggled with it. They had excuses, and they put things off. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are traveling from one town to Galilee, and they make their way through Samaria. Samaria is like enemy territory for the Jews. The Jews hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans actually used to be Jews, but these Jews 
intermarried other idol-worshiping cultures and became known as the Samaritans. And so the Jews hate the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hate the Jews, and this is where Jesus decides to make a pit stop. It'd be like for me if I'm on a road trip, somebody saying, hey, we're going to make a pit stop right at Cowboy Stadium. Why? Why? Could we go any other place? Like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, I don't want to leave. But no, Jesus says, hey, we're stopping here in Samaria. So his 12 are ticked. They don't want to be there. They want to leave as quickly as possible. But then Jesus engages a woman in a conversation at a water well. And he begins sharing with her about who he is. It's the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. And you would think that these 12 are like, hey, you know what? We don't want to be here, but because of this conversation, it's worth it. That's not the case at all. They wanted to leave even more because she was a woman. And in their society and in their culture, women did not have very high standing. And so they're in Samaria talking to a Samaritan woman, and they want out. They're not happy about it. And in one verse, Jesus completely undoes this lack of urgency, this desire to tell others about himself. We find it in John chapter 4, verse 35. If you haven't gotten your sermon notes out yet, get your sermon notes out. In John 4, 35, in this one verse, in this one verse is what we're going to unpack today and look at. He just blows away and undoes any lack of urgency in their life. Look at what he says. He says, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Boom! Dude, Jesus dropped that on him. Do you see how powerful that is? I didn't the first time I read it. So don't worry. Yeah, that's what like commentaries and biblical study was for. Because I didn't get the wealth and the impact that these words contained. If Jesus were to come back and undo a lack of urgency, this is the same thing that he would tell us. Because Jesus gives some very important lessons to increase our urgency in this one verse. And Jesus does two things. Here's the first thing that he does. Is Jesus diffuses my excuses. He diffuses my excuses. The phrase four months more and then the harvest was a very common phrase in their culture. Obviously, we don't use it anymore. We're not in an agrarian society like they were. But it's a phrase used for procrastination. The phrase is, hey, four months more and then the harvest. The idea is, we've got nothing to do for four months. We've planted. It's growing. There is nothing for us to do. We can put off anything. It's like when it rolls around for you to get rid of things on your to-do list, and you're like, ah, that can wait. It doesn't have to be done today. They would say, ah, four months more and then the harvest. I've got months before I have to do anything. And it was a phrase of procrastination. Growing up, we had a similar phrase in our family to kind of communicate this idea. Uh, my parents went to Hawaii multiple times during my childhood by themselves. Excellent marriage advice. Awful parenting advice. I've never been. They went multiple times without us. But when they came back, they always had this phrase, five Hawaiian minutes. And it was to communicate island time. It's five Hawaiian minutes. It could mean five minutes. It could mean an hour. It could mean tomorrow. It could mean next week. It's island time. Five Hawaiian minutes. 
Well, I have two younger brothers, and we were boys growing up. We wanted to do things now, and we were always on the go, and we were rambunctious, and we were full of energy. And so my mom and dad would be like, eh, five Hawaiian minutes, and it would just undo us. But it was this phrase of like, eh, we got all the time in the world. Why are you stressing? Four months more to the harvest. Jesus recognizes in them there is a lack of urgency. It was an excuse that they had. We have excuses that we have to not telling others about Christ. There's three excuses that pastors hear more than any others. And I'd be willing to bet in this room, you're going to fall into one of these excuses. The first is, I don't know what to say. You're like, I would tell people about Christ, but like, I don't know what to say. The next thing is like, well, what if they ask a question and I don't know the answer to it? I'm not going to tell people about Christ. Or, or then the third excuse is, look, I don't, want to, I don't want to be pushy or offend anybody. Those are the three main excuses that I hear. That when people are like, hey, I know I should, but bam, one of those. And I bet there's probably one of those, that, one of those camps that you would put yourself in. So look, since Jesus diffused their excuses... Let's spend a little bit of time talking about each of these excuses. And like, let's diffuse these excuses in our lives. So let's go through it. I don't know what to say. Let me tell you what to say. The very first thing that you have to do is you have to enter into a spiritual conversation. This sounds like it's hard. This is the easiest part. Starting a spiritual conversation is a piece of cake. Let me tell you what's going to happen tomorrow in your life. You're going to be talking to somebody, and they're going to say, how was your weekend? Or what did you do this weekend? Boom, spiritual conversation. See, all you have to say is, oh, we did this, this, and this, and we went to church. We went to church. Oh, my gosh, my church is so great. My kids love it. Like, my church gives away free coffee and as many donuts as you want. Like, I never have an argument with my kids about going to church. It's awesome. And, like, we go, and then worship is life-changing. It's amazing. And all you have to do is put up with a eh, sermon for about 25 minutes. Like, it's, it's great. And then everybody laughs, and then you laugh, courtesy laugh, because you know it's kind of true. And so you're in. Spiritual conversation has been started. That's it. Once you start a spiritual conversation, you've got to bring up Jesus Christ. That's just as easy. Because once you're talking about church, you know how easy it is to say, hey, my church is going through this series. What would Jesus undo? And Jesus is really doing some cool things in my life. He's really doing some cool things in my church. And you're in. And you're talking about Jesus Christ in a conversation. And in the grand scheme of things, that's really easy. It's going to happen tomorrow. Toward the end of the week, people are going to say something like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Hey, I don't know. I've got this plan, all that. But I tell you, I'm so excited because my church is continuing in this series. And we're going to, you're in. It's a piece of cake. And then once you start talking about Jesus, it's very easy to tell people, just let me tell you what Jesus is doing in my life. Let me tell you how it got started. Let me tell you about Christ. And then, to make this really easy, I've got an illustration 
that I want to show you. It's an illustration that we've used at Parkway Fellowship for years in the kids' ministry, student ministry, here. Just in case you haven't seen it, it's an illustration called the bridge illustration. This is probably the illustration that if I have the ability, I go to this illustration more than any of the other ones. And Pastor Mike and I were talking, and it was like, hey, you can do the bridge illustration. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do the bridge illustration. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. And so we were talking about it, and he's like, you know, he's like, Adam, I've started doing this thing where I draw the bridge illustration out on my phone. And I'm like, I never thought about that. I'm like, hey, can you like record yourself drawing the bridge illustration out and send it to me? And so he sent it to me, and I want to show it to you. Disclaimer, this is not a kid in our kids' ministry. You'll understand this is our senior pastor drawing this out. Here's the bridge illustration right here. This is Mike drawing us. We are on one side. I know, it's funny every time. That's us, we're on one side, and God is on the other. That's a G, just in case you were curious. But the problem is, is that there's a distance between us and God. And the problem is sin. Our sin separates us from God. And there's no amount of good works that we can try to jump from our side to God's side. There's no amount of good deeds that we can do to overcome it. Because you cannot cancel out sin by good deeds. Sin has to be forgiven. Because God is perfect and we are not. That's why Jesus Christ had to be born. God's son was born and lived a perfect life. You see, Jesus Christ never sinned. He never experienced this separation. But then, out of his great love for us, he died on the cross, paying the penalty of sin so that our sins could be forgiven. And when we put our hope and faith and trust in God, in Jesus Christ for what he done, we have a relationship with God now, and we get to spend all of eternity with him when we die. All right, you can stop that up there. That's the bridge illustration. How simple was that? That was pretty simple. You can draw that out. You can draw that, and you can talk about it. Hey, we're on this side, and God's on the other, and our sin is in the middle, and it took Jesus Christ to overcome it. Okay, if you're thinking, well, where's that in Scripture? Write this down, Romans 3.23. Just write down Romans 3.23. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Romans 5.8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, and Romans 10.9. That's the bridge illustration. It was super easy. And then after you draw it, though, you have to ask this question. Whether it's the bridge illustration or you use something else that you're comfortable with, you have to ask this. Does this make sense to you? Now, this is really important because it gives them a chance to ask questions, and it also opens up dialogue. You don't want this to be a monologue where you're just telling them about Jesus. Look, you care about that person. This is where they get to ask you questions, and they get to talk about it. And then after you've talked it, about it for a while, you ask, hey, is this something that you want to do? Ask. My prayer is that they would say yes. 
And then if that's the case, you pray a simple prayer. They repeat after you and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're saying, I don't know what to say, two things. One, I bet you do. For the majority of you, you have seen that prayer at the bottom of our sermon notes for weeks, months, and for some of you, years. You know exactly what to say. You've heard me say it over and over and over again. And if you're hesitant about it, rip it off on the bottom of your sermon notes. Keep it in your purse or in your wallet. But here's the other thing I would say. Your words don't matter because it's a condition of the heart. It's a condition of the heart. If the specific words that you said mattered, guess where we would find that? Somewhere in the Bible. But that's not here. What the Bible talks about is believing and receiving. Believe in Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness and grace. That's it. You can't mess it up because it's not about you. It's about the other person. So there's a quick run through of what to say. You know more now of what to say than you did before. Well, what about the next what about the next one? The next excuse that we talked about is, look, uh, what if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer to it? Well, here's the thing. That's okay. People ask me questions all the time. I don't know the answers to them. Uh, do not make something up. Do not make something up. That's how cults get started. <laughs> don't do that. Do not do that at all. Like, here's what I can tell you. If somebody asks you a really deep, difficult, theological question, and you are completely stumped, I want you to come here on a Sunday, bring that person with you, and ask Pastor Jeremiah. (laughs) Ask him, all right? If you feel like the question is a relatively easy one, find me and boost my self-confidence. So, all right? No, I'm just kidding. Look, be honest and say, I don't know, but I would like to know the answer just like you would like to know the answer. Look, would you come to church with me and let's find out? Look, you don't even have to wait till church. We're pretty easy to get a hold of. There was one time I got a call from a friend of mine. And he said, hey, Adam, I've got a friend of mine that I'm trying to, we're talking about Christ. And I, like, he asked me a question and I don't know the answer to it. And I'm like, okay, well, what is it? He said, well, like, why do bad things happen to good people? I was like, oh, that's great. And so I start to tell him on the phone the answer. He goes, no, 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 no. He's right here. You're on speakerphone. <laughs> let's talk. Hey, how are you? Let's have the conversation. It was great. It was a great conversation. You don't have to know the answers. Just remove any guilt. You don't have to. There are many times where somebody comes up to me on a Sunday and says, this is my friend and this was their question. And they ask the question. I say, you know what? I could give you an answer, but I'm not sure that's a complete answer. Give me a week. Come back next week and I'll have an answer for you. I I love that. That's what we're here for. Well, what about the next excuse? If you don't want to be pushy and you don't want to offend anybody. Look, I don't want you to offend anybody either. And I don't want you to push anybody away. And neither does Christ. Christ doesn't want you to offend people. But when it comes to this issue, let's take a look at how Jesus handled his conversations. And when we take a look at them, here's what we know. Is that Jesus always, his, uh, Jesus always directed his conversations to go somewhere. There was always an end point. Jesus never had just these vague, open-ended conversations about God and himself. There was always a point to what he was talking about. Your conversations need to be the same way. If you begin to talk about what to say, enter into a spiritual conversation, and you bring up church, and you bring up what Jesus is doing in your life, and you begin to feel like, oh, this is getting pushy, I'm starting to offend, 
You just end it and you simply say, and I'd love to come to church with you sometime. Uh, for you to come to church with me sometime. Just end it. Just stop. But you went somewhere with it. It wasn't this vague, open-ended conversation about Jesus that you had. It was a point. And you remember where that was. And so the next time you can pick up from that point. You can see where they are. You can let them know about church, about what's going on. It can be any number of things. But when your conversations are pointed and they're going in a direction, it's very easy not to offend people because you can just stop and you remember where you left off. Instead of vague, open-ended conversations about Christ and the church globally. That's difficult. All right, Jesus diffuses the 12's excuses. He would diffuse our excuses to undo a lack of urgency. But the verse doesn't stop there. The second part of John 4.35 is insanely insightful for us. This is the second thing that we get, that Jesus would try to use in our life to undo a lack of urgency. Look, Jesus trusts me with people for a reason. Jesus would want it to be known very clear that he trusts me and he trusts you with people for a reason. Let's look at what he says in the second half. After he says the four months more than the harvest, says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. It's very interesting. Jesus doesn't say, open your eyes and look at the fruit. It's ripe for the harvest. He says, look at the fields. And so they're there. They're in Samaria and they're just looking out. Here's what I know about fields. Somebody owns a field. Every field has an owner, then and today. No matter where you're driving and you see an open field, somebody owns that field. Who's responsible for the harvest on that field? The owner. The owner is responsible for the harvest. It's their job. Now, do they have to do it by themselves? No. But ultimately, who is responsible for the harvest on that field? The owner is. And what Jesus is telling them, Jesus is telling his 12, he's like, look, look at these fields. Obviously, are we talking about fruit? No, we're talking people. Jesus is telling them, there are people in your life and in your path, and it is your responsibility to harvest. It's your responsibility. Here's the bottom line. God trusts you and loves you and cares about you so much that he's placed people in your life. You have fields. Your field might be your gym where you work. Field might be your home. Field might be your neighborhood or your street. The people that are in a club or an activity that you're a part of. Your field might be the families that are on your kids' sports team. But you have a field. And Jesus would tell you and he would tell me, look, I entrust you with people. Look at your fields. The harvest is ready. Well, that can be kind of nerve-wracking. But when we really begin to think about this concept of a harvest, and we think about it in terms of people, a massive amount of hope comes in. See, here's the truth. Is that when we think about it in terms of really a harvest and fruits and vegetables and plants, Who's ultimately responsible for growing the fruit? Is it the farmer? No. The farmer plants, the farmer waters, but who really grows the fruit? God does. 
Because God's at work on the other side. It's crucial to understand that, is that God is at work on the other side, in the field. God is already at work in the people in your life. It is your responsibility to take that step and to tell them. Do you have to do it by yourself? No. Your church family would love to play a very significant role in that. Your church family would love to meet the people that are in your life and in your circles and in your fields. They would be very fun for us to celebrate what God is doing in your life and what God is doing in their life because God is working in their life. God is working in their life. Jesus brings the 12 and he says, look, 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 look out. Now the harvest is ready. How does he know that? Because he's already at work. He has been at work in the people of Samaria. He had been at work in their lives and he's able to declare now that the harvest is ready. But let's think about this from a real-time standpoint. Can you wait too long on a harvest? Yeah. If there is a lack of urgency in harvest time, well, then the fruit falls to the ground and it can't be harvested anymore. Here's what I know. The people in your life, they're in your life for a season. I don't know how long that season is going to be. There are people that are in my life that they're there for a season. The families that are on William's baseball team are there during baseball season, and then they might be gone. There's a good chance you're not going to live in the house that you live in forever. The people on your street are in your life for a season. And when that season is over, you lose the opportunity to harvest. It's gone. You can't harvest anymore. There is a time limit to how long you have to harvest the people that God has put in your life because he entrusts you and he is already working in them, waiting for you to tell them about himself. God entrusts you. He put them in your life because he wants you to do it, because he loves you, because he values you, because you are that important. God could use any tool that he ever wanted, but God has chose you, and he's placed those people in your field. And when Jesus took the 12 and he stripped them of their excuses and when he showed them the fields and gave them that ownership and that responsibility, look at what happens at the end of John 4. The end of John 4, verses 40 and 43. It says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. After the two days, he left for Galilee. They understood. They had a sense of urgency. They understand that these people right now in Samaria, where we are, now is the time for the harvest. And it took them two days to harvest And many more came to know Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And then after two days and after the harvest, then they went on their way to Galilee. Maybe you have been thinking of that bridge illustration the entire time. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I'm on one side and God's on the other. And I've never committed my life to Jesus Christ. 
I've never started that relationship. Look, for you, I'd love for that to be today. There's a sample prayer at the bottom of your sermon notes, right on the back. In just a moment, I'm going to spend some time praying for us. In just a moment, Jeremiah and his team are going to come back up and just lead us in a song to reflect and think about what it would take for God to undo our lack of urgency. If you want to start a relationship with Christ today, I would celebrate that more than anything else. But let me tell you this. You have a field, and God entrusts you, and he has empowered you because he wants to use you to reach this great city and to reach your community for his glory. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. And God, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, God, that you would show us so clearly how much you love us. God, show us how much you love us and how you entrusted us with the lives of other people that you have placed in our fields, in our circle of friends, in our communities. God, I pray that you would give us the strength, God, to overcome any excuse that we would have. God, would we push all of those aside and would we know full well that your love is so great, God, and that people need to know the message of Jesus Christ today. God, would you give us a sense of urgency? Lord, not knowing how long people are gonna be in our lives, would we be urgent to share your love and your hope with them? So God, today, I pray that this would be one of those days that we look back years from now and we see that you began a revival in us and through us on today, on this day. God, that we would move forward and we would let people know that you are for them. God, that you want them to have a life full of hope and a life full of joy. God, so would we be able to be the ones that share it and tell it? And so God, we thank you. Thank you for our salvation. Would we truly let the whole world know what you've done in us and through us? We love you, God, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining our weekly podcast from our Sunday experience. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at connections at parkwayfellowship.com. Have a blessed week.